This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. My name is Mitchell Kaplan, and you're listening to The Literary Life. And it's my honor and pleasure to have with me today author, filmmaker, and music maker, Irvin Welsh, who's here with us at Books and Books and Carl Gables, where tonight he'll be giving a reading and a talk from his new book, Dead Men's Trousers, the grand finale of Train Spotting. Irvin, it's great to have you back. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be here. This is just an amazing store, and um, it's so good. It's just such a, um, it's just such a good. Just contributes so much to the kind of cultural life of the city. Oh well, thanks. But but it's also great to have you back in Miami, where I know you make your home for part of the year on Miami Beach. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I've been here for years, kind of on and off. And um, how many years is it now? Oh God, I don't know. It's like I, I first started coming over here for the Winter Music Festival and uh, the, the Winter Music Conference, which is next week. Um, and uh, I thought, this is great. You know, the weather's fantastic all the year round. I don't have to speak the language, any languages. I can just kind of uh, hang out here. So I got a place and I've, you know, I've had a couple of different places, but I've been here sort of, um, I've had a place here for about at least 10 years. I yeah, so now. it has to be 10 years yeah, or so. easily, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's surprising. You know, I always find it surprising when people think of Miami and they don't realize that there's such a diversity of writers living here as well. There's a diversity of everything here. I mean, it's like, um, I think because you don't really think of it as a literary city because it is so visual, you know, there's so much art and so much photography um, and the whole culture is just very, very visual. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of this great tradition of writers. There's this great, there's, there's a great kind of sort of um, noirish tradition here that's kind of, you know, and it um, it is kind of... Uh, there's that incredible duality about the place. It's like um, you know, is the, the 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 sunny place with shady people. You know, it has the, the uh, it has all this kind of um, weird stuff going on. You know, and it's like, uh, and when, when people do commit crimes here, they commit these kind of. Um, it's almost like they want to get caught. It's like the attention-seeking kind of look at me type crimes. I'm going to cannibalize a stranger or something like you know. So, so it is that kind of. Um, there's that kind of crazy edginess to it, which is under the surface of all this kind of um, posy kind of shunts that kind of goes on. Like, you know, so it is quite a fascinating place, yeah. Yeah, no, and and people have have not exploited, but they've used it in their work. I mean, when you you know, even in I, I think it's really well done in journalism too, with like people like Edna Buchanan, who has that book Corpse Had a Familiar Face, where she covered <laughs> crime here all the time. Yeah. And uh, she she covered the Cunanan, uh, you know the the, the killing of um, of Versace, and but her writing is so stark and so interesting. Yeah, I mean it, it is a kind of very stark, interesting, and vivid place. You know, it's like sort of um, it's funny. You know, it's funny because part of the year I lived back in Scotland, and um, it's so it's it's like the polar opposite. You know, you have this very kind of dark, kind of sort of kind of um, grey place, and because of that, people find a lot of levity 
in it, you know, because this place is so bright and visual, people find a lot of darkness in it too, you know, so it's like a kind of weird, it's a, it's a very kind of strange thing. And it's like there, you know, it's, um, you know, when you go back to Scotland, it's like people just talk incessantly. It's a very verbal culture, you know, it's a, the oral kind of storytelling tradition. People are always telling stories in pubs and all that. Here people don't talk so much, they just look at each other, they just, they just, they just hang out and look, you know, and they kind of, you know, and it's like, um, and I find that, you know, when I go out here, I'm always talking, I think, I should shut up, I should, you know, but when I get back to Scotland, I'm never talking, I'm always the one that sits and listens. Basically. Oh, that's so you know, interesting. So it's kind of, it's really... Well, I know that you like to travel a lot. Travel is something that is something yeah, yeah. you do a yeah. lot. And... Um, you know, whether you're in Hong Kong or whether you're in Sydney, whether it's a book festival or whether just travel for your own sake. But there must be a comfort level for you when you come back here. Yeah, I mean, this is such, I mean, you're talking about the different cultures here, but there's, you know, you have the you have the, the North American culture, you have the Latin American culture, you have the Caribbean culture, kind of, and it's all really at your disposal. It's like a jump-off point to all these different places in the world, you know, that are so radically different. And they all kind of coalesce here, basically, yeah. as well, and you know. So. It's also been said that, you know, Miami, although it's part of the United States, feels very foreign. And with your travel, your foreign travel, and then your, your domestic U.S. travel with your book tour, for instance, Miami must stand out in some way. It does. I mean, I lived in Chicago for years, and I, I felt that... Um, it wasn't as kind of um, unfamiliar to me. It felt like a big northern industrial city. You know, it felt very kind of American and a bit, you know, sort of um, smothered in that kind of Americana. Um, but uh, Miami kind of, uh, it's funny, when I, I took a, a writer friend, Don De Grazia, came down for, uh, he'd never been to Miami before, and he goes, he goes, and he, he worked in Rio for a bit. And he goes, this place is like Rio. It's not like it's not like the United States, basically, you know. And it does have that kind of feel to it. I mean, it's um, I, you know, the people that I know here in Miami, my friends in Miami, are from everywhere, all over the world. Right. You know? It's like kind of um, uh, mainly kind of um, South and Central America. Uh, a lot of people from North America, different towns, and a lot of people from Europe. Um, you know, it's like really is quite. Uh, an interesting mix, particularly on Miami Beach. You get every all sorts. You of, do, and because Miami Beach is probably one of the most urban places in Miami, it's a place where you can live without a car. And well, that's you can what just feels walk to me. Yeah, I just walk, I just walk all over the place, and um, um, I even walk. I mean, even walk across here. I walk across one of the causeways. Do you sometimes. really? Yeah, oh, that's I great. Uh, I won't. Um, I won't do the MacArthur. I've done that once, and I got badly sunburned. But I'll, I'll do the um, the Venetian. It's a great one to to walk over. Yeah, not the yeah. Julia Tuttle. For sure. I won't do the Tuttle. It's a little yeah, too, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, too yeah. steep. Well, that's pretty wild. I mean, because you know, I grew up on Miami Beach, and I always felt like the bridges were bridges. I always felt there was a moat around Miami Beach. Yeah. And that you never really left unless you found some kind of four wheel car way of leaving. You know. I think you know one of the things that's even since I've been here, you've you've seen the regeneration of Miami in such a big way, you know, led by the art, but also kind of um, the the club scene and uh, and just in the last five years, the proliferation of restaurants and bars. That's just you know, it's like kind of um, and now you know people leave Miami Beach to go over there to socialise, which never happened before. You know, it's all kind of one way traffic right, over here because yeah. everyone is now going. You know, it's the the Wynwood or Alapata yeah. yeah. or Little River or I mean, we've now we've now um, become a 
really multi-neighborhood place as well. Yes, and that was never the case. Really never before, the case. Yeah, yeah. Used to be in the old days, you could go to, I think it was probably before you moved here, but there was a restaurant on South Beach called The Strand, and you'd go to that restaurant, and literally you'd walk in and you'd know everybody in there. Yeah, yeah. It's when Miami Beach was just getting back on its legs, you mm -hmm. know, and, and people, you know, Drifters were coming down from New York, and they were leaving New York City, and artists were moving in. Well, yeah, I mean, I can remember, you know, in Wynwood, you, you had Joey's Restaurant and Gramps Bar. And that was well, it. That was it. That was the whole, that was yeah. it. And now it's just you can't move for different restaurants and bars. Right. And and for that, you know, like, I don't know if you feel it, but for me, there's a kind of sadness to it as well, as well when these things get all of a sudden discovered the rents go up and everybody it's, leaves. You know I mean? It's one of the things of, of kind of, um, you hear the same story everywhere you go in the world, basically. As, you know, it's the, the gentrification. It's, it's gentrification. It's the neoliberalism of, of you know, of sort of uh, the, the planet. And, uh, you know, you hear people in Edinburgh saying the very same thing. You hear people in Barcelona true. saying the same thing. London saying the very same thing. And it's just a, it's a, such a common uh, So what is there. it? Is it that... There's a lack of, is it that we've given over so much to commodification of things that everything is worth something and then it becomes worth too much in some way and we don't have enough just social interaction in a way? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's like um, the, you know, the, 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 we've had all these kind of um, booms here, like, you know, this, the, the dot-com boom, the real estate boom, it's like trying to pull the rabbit out of the hat to keep a kind of... Um, you know, we're moving into a post-wage economy, basically. You know, we're in a long technologically, we're just in this long-form transition where we can't really, um, we can't. You know, we're moving to a, a a world without wages, without profit. So, and you know, the the whole, the whole, you know, the world that we knew, um, not just under capitalism, but right back under feudalism and mercantile trade and all that stuff. It's all kind of gone. It's all, it's on its, it's, you know, it's on its, it's on a, it's not gone, but it's on a, there's going to be a long kind of change. And it's, you know, we can't uninvent this technology. We can't uninvent the Kiva robot and stuff, you know, it's, um, so it's kind of, you know, we're in this major transition. We don't really know how to cope with it. And, uh, all this stuff you see flaring up, I think it's the last, it's almost like the last stand of consumerism. You know, it's like, it's a kind of, um, it's a, it's a debt fueled consumerism. It's like kind of, um, it's well, people, it's by the credit card, completely yeah, dead. It's fuel. all done by the credit card, but it's also done by kind of people giving, um, you know, saying, "Well, my kids are going to have this," you know. So the so the banks are taking everything they have through education system, through the health system, through housing, um, and it's almost like a big um, a Ponzi a bit, scheme. A big, yeah, it is. It's a giant. It's a giant Ponzi scheme. Well, and then you yeah. see what the the lengths that people go to. I mean, we're talking here now at a time when that big scandal just happened where people are paying millions of dollars to get their kids into a school that they think they should go to. Yeah, you, and, it's, you you know, and it's all based, it's based on association and kind of contacts rather than yeah. any academic attainment. You know, it's basically saying that um, you get to go, you get to hang out with these super wealthy rich kids who can maybe help you out in the future down the line, yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Where do you think it'll end up? Are we going to end up as Mad Max, or are we oh, going to end I up? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's. Like, I think it's. Like, I don't think this is kind of. Um, I think it's moving away from kind of left wing and right wing ideologies now. I think it's just. Uh, it's between freedom and control. You know, it's people who think. Um, 
this gives us opportunity, you know, it's like we should, um, we don't need to work, so let's kind of play sport and kind of make love in the fields and write poems and kind of dance and sort of sing and all this kind of stuff. And other people will think, well, no, we need to be controlled and told what to do, so we need some kind of... Um, kind of uh, fascist emperors to kind of organize us to so have enough food to eat and all this. You know, which, so is, which is where we are now in which is so many we're, countries. We're, we're, we're edging towards it, like, you know. We're kind of, so I think the, it's like that, um, the old Bertrand Russell kind of phrase uh, saying that um, it's, you know, the, the, the dumbest people are the most certain and the kind of the, the clever people are full of doubt, you know, so you're looking... So the, we're on a, every country in the world is on a mission to find the biggest asshole in that country and appoint them kind of the boss oh, and hate God, them. Yes, and hate them for it, but uh, but still have them there doing yeah, all look, this. Yeah, Brazil and Brazil's doing it. Poland, Ukraine, Poland, Hungary, Italy you know, now. Italy now, yep. Um, and certainly we're, all, we're trying our best in Britain. We can't find. There's too many of them. We can't, <laughs> we can't work out who the biggest asshole is. Like, you know, if we knew for sure, we'd appoint them. Like, you know, but there's so many candidates. Um, well, you've been outspoken too about Scottish independence as well, right? If if I if I'm reading it correctly, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I, again, I don't pretend you know, to understand anything about British politics. Yeah. It seems so confusing and all kinds of things. I think it's things. again, it's you know, it's the the whole. Um, it's about a kind of you know a nation state. I think that was set up in imperial times and it has all the trappings of that it has you know things like um, it still has an aristocracy a monarchy a house of lords public school system um, it still has the kind of um, the extremes of hierarchy and elitism and the, the patriarchy and all these things now kind of um are kind of you know that they they're not really sustainable by the by in a citizen democracy and uh, we're trying to, you know we're trying to hold all that together or, or the you know the the elites are trying to hold all that together I think it's just um, it's just cracking under the strain basically it's not you know it's, it's not a democracy that serves as citizens um, and you know that's what Brexit's been about that's what Scottish independence has been about there've been more to me there've been um, these are kind of um, symptoms rather than the cause of anything the symptoms of the need to sort of crack up but yeah i think the symptoms of the need to sort of you know have something that um is based on kind of um it's based on a you know a sort of pre you know sort of old kind of outmoded kind of precedents i mean you don't really need a hierarchy you don't really need patriarchy you don't really you don't really need kind of monarchies and house of lords and kings and queens in fact it's quite ludicrous in this day and age you know when um and you think, why are we spending all the, the resources on this when we could be kind of, um, when we when we could have a much more sort of, um, you know, just a, a society that's really there for everybody, basically. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're struggling to kind of, um, we're struggling to get rid of all these trappings, basically. Yeah, we, we all, I think you're absolutely right. It's certainly happening here. We're, we're trying, I guess, as best we can to to make that gap less wide so that people are able to at least have some of their basics in terms of being able to live a life that's productive in some way, whatever that production, you know, whatever it means to be productive to that person. So it's ultimate freedom and ultimate democracy in some way. Yeah, I mean, we've got, you know, the, the, all these institutions that we have have kind of served us well at certain points. I'm not maybe served us well, but they've, they've functioned in certain point in time, you know. But um, they don't really, they don't really kind of, um, 
I mean, if you, if you look at the way that, um, that voting's been compromised by money and, and super PACs and, and uh, you think, well, you know, and, you know, kind of sort of, um, kind of media control, kind of algorithms, and, you know, you think, well, you know, we're, we're so susceptible to, um, to all this kind of sort of um, this manipulation. Why do, why do we have to have this traditional voting system that's compromised? Why don't we just have a lottery? Basically, and appoint people to to Congress or the Houses of Parliament on the basis of a random lottery. And when you do that, that suddenly makes you think. Well, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to have an education system so people know about science, they know about civics, they know about economics, oh, and all that really stuff. So, you know, I love that. So idea. you get back to that city-state ideal, you know, the Italian city-state right. ideal, but in a kind of. Um, in a modern democracy, I mean. Um, so if it's all done by chance, then so it's all done make, by chance. You got to make sure the weakest yeah. among us is yeah. very well you, yeah, taken you've got care to, of. You've got to get everybody kind of on some kind of um, educational parity. Wow. Well, we really went off the <laughs> we subject. We went off on a tangent Author, again. Author, filmmaker, yeah. uh, music maker, and political theoretician and philosopher. That's <laughs> Irvin Welsh is here with us, but. I, let's go back. Let's sort of take it in reverse. So, so the winter music uh, concert got you here. So that means that you've been into electronic music for a long time. Then I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got into the whole kind of. Um, it took me a while to get into the acid house thing, but I kind of, you know, within about eighteen months, I was into. It took, you know, it was like. Um, I mean, um, I remember going to Danny Rampling's club, Shum, in London, and was the only person who wasn't on ecstasy. And because of the kind of, you know, the heroin past, I was very, very anti-drugs. Right. You know, at that time, I kind of straightened out, had a responsible job. Um, nice wife and kind of lovely uh, apartment and all that. So I was, um, I was doing quite well on a superficial level, but uh, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do creatively. Uh, and then... Um, this acid house explosion came along. It was like a kind of big, kind of seismic cultural thing that I thought, you know, and I'd kind of gone through this with punk, and I thought I'm not going to get another second bite of this. But then it came along, and uh, eventually I just um, immersed myself in it, and I got into doing promotional stuff, uh, clubs, and I got into doing, um, I got into doing DJing. I got into just, you know, I just got really, but I just got in mostly. I just got into raving kind of every weekend and sort of going for wow. it. All um, over the world? Yeah, much. yeah. I mean, it's, it, was, it was like um, certainly all over the UK and then forays into Europe and with the DJ. And I mean, I kind of remember sort of um, spent a lot of, did a, quite a bit of stuff in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And um, and we just, you know, it's like um, just anywhere that um, would have me basically. And uh, then it was, you know, I got, it kind of, it got my creative juices going, you know. The four-four beat. I tried to replicate that in the mo in the, the books with right. the with the vernacular, you know, the Celtic oral kind of sort of bang, bang, bang. You know, you got the you know, uh, and the effects on the top and all that. So it was very much, you know, the, the books were very much influenced by that acid house experience. I wanted to try and get a clubbing experience captured, uh, and then I kind of. Um, it was getting, you know, I had to give up one or the other and I got right into the writing and I, I thought, um, I'm getting too old to be hanging around clubs <laughs> and kind of, um, you know, the great thing about being a DJ is you can be the oldest person in the in right. the, the room and sort of... Um, now you have an album coming out, 
right? Yeah, I've got right back into it again. I mean, and again, this is the thing about, again, it's technologically driven. You know, it's like, um, I've always found it very difficult to make music because I don't have the, you know, the musical skill to do it. But you can sit there with a package like Reason, or you know, and um, you can just start knocking out sort of beats, basically. And then, um, and also I kind of got together with... Um, a, friend, a guy, Steve Mack, who I became really good friends with, and we just met in Amsterdam, Amsterdam at the Amsterdam dance event, and he's a producer. And we had a lot of mutual friends. We just got chatting, and we said, let's do a, a song together. Myself, him, and Danny Rampling, who was one of the original kind of acid house DJs right, who right. brought uh, stuff back from Ibiza, and Danny's an old friend. So we just did this track, and um, we liked the sound of it. Uh, and Steve and I just decided we're just going to keep on going, you know. So we've been knocked out an so album, another, yeah. So we've got when will the album? Is it out now? It's or? going to come out uh, by with a label called Sunday Best, which is Rob the Bank, uh, the uh, English DJ who's uh, kind of BBC Radio DJ, um, and uh, he's got a great label. It's a really kind of cool boutique label. So we're going to bring it out in September. Oh, with, terrific. With Sunday Best. But we're also going to be at Glastonbury. We're going to uh, put a band together to play oh, Glastonbury. That, oh, so, so you're going to yeah. do it live as well? We don't, yeah, we're going to, we don't know how much we're going to do live and how much we're going to DJ, but we're going to right. find a find a sweet spot that we can, you know. Um, I don't know whether we'll go full band. With now that you have an instrument that you play at I can't, point. I mean, it's like, so you're you're on, I'll, be pretend, I'll be hiding behind vocals. a keyboard going like, <laughs> do, yeah, and, and kind of um, doing my kind of Florian Schneider craft <laughs> German accent, basically, like, so. Uh, that's, well, you got, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And then, and then, I mean, you have all these things converging at once. You had Train Spotting Two come out last. It came out last year or the year before. Yeah, yeah. It and was, it was uh, the twenty fifth yeah. anniversary, right, of Train Spotting, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and you've now had it's four four books with the same characters, right? Or is it? Three? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, four. Well, there's there's a kind Here's of the prequel. Fourth. Yeah, this is like the um, Train Spotting. Um, Porno and uh, Dead Men's Trousers are the kind of the real time ones, if you like. And um, Skag Boys was a prequel. Was the um, prequel? Yeah, but it's not come out in the states yet. It's uh, like a Begbie standalone kind of how he became, how he, he changed, got into art. But um, the three um, Train Spotting, Porno, and Dead Men's Trousers are like the kind of. Um, that's the kind of my, my kind of holy trinity in a sense of the, that saga. It's like. Um, you have Trainspotting, which is a betrayal novel, um, Porno, which is a revenge novel, and Dead Men's Trousers, which is a kind of redemption novel, I think, in a twisted way, you know. So it kind of follows that. Um, well, you follow all these path. guys as they get older and they their lives change and Yeah, and all you of find that. is, you know, but I found as I get older, you gravitate to the people that you knew when you were kind of young again. You right. know, it's almost like, you know, you kind of go in a full circle in a sense because... Um, you realise that you know, for better or worse, you know, your formative years of growing up and you know, as a kid and as a young adult, and um, that that you know, your friends from that era tend to be your kind of closest friends because you've got that shared history. And these are people that you drew from from your own past. Yeah, I mean, own, um, no, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're not all the they're composites and they're of you course know, the, and they're you know they're archetypes, but a, a lot of the um, a lot of characteristics and scenarios are drawn from real people. Tell me what, you know, I mean, I've heard biographers talk, like I've heard Robert Cairo, who's written about LBJ for his whole life, <laughs> you know, more or less. And you have to really want to, you really want to have to be around those people if you're going to write about them your whole life. So tell me what it is about the characters 
we can start with train spotting or any of them that that what is that drew you to it in the first place um i think you know with 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 a character you you're basically if you're a fiction writer i think you're kind of forging a tool that's going to sort of help you explore the you know help you do the job and the job is like to explore the kind of theme you know or tell the kind of story that you want to tell you know so um if you get a really kind of sort of decent effective tool you stick it in the toolbox and you think the next kind of thing you've got can i use this again in some way you know, so um, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. You know, you have to forge a new one or, or you sharpen up the old, the old one. But um, there's that aspect of it. And there's also the aspect of, you know, the characters, if they're vivid enough, they'll come back themselves, they'll gate crash. I mean, I never intended to write porno, but I realised that um, the character was just sick boy, basically. You know, and it took me a couple of drafts to, I thought, I can't get rid of him. He's got to be, you know, he's got to be this character. So, uh that gives you the responsibility of um, see, catching up with the rest of them. Well, there's, there's in in you know, in rereading about it, there's a great quote that I saw somewhere where it says that, uh, and it was talking about the 25th anniversary of Train Spotting, and it says Train Spotting celebrated its 25th anniversary. I guess it was last summer, right? And it reminding it, and what it does by celebrating this anniversary it reminds the generation that came of age in the 1990s just how old they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, it's um, it's kind of um, it was a kind of quite a big emotional film for a lot of people, and particularly in the UK because. Um, they kind of, you know, it does force people to look back in their own lives through these characters, you know, because, uh, and it was, you know, it, it did kind of resonate with, with people. So, um, and again, you know, I mean, it's like the, probably this book came out of that because uh, like Danny, the director, and Andrew, the producer, and John, the screenwriter, and I had, we're, we're basically, we're booked as, this apartment in Edinburgh and we've just stayed there for a couple of weeks trying to work out, can we actually do this? Can we do, you know, it's like now or never, you know, we have to basically, or, you know, the guys are probably too old as it is, they're going to be even, too, even older soon. So right. we have to do it now and it's the 25th anniversary. If we don't do it now, we'll never do it. Um, so we went through the book porno, we went through two earlier drafts that John had done. Um, and of course, you know, because the guys, are, you know, they're no longer kind of young guys, they're sure. middle age now. So we had to really think about where they would be. Um, and that kind of got me, I just kept going basically, you know, from from that, you know, so it came out of that, you know, so it was a lot of, um, a lot of the, the stuff that I kind of, um, that we talked about with, you know, Danny, John and Andrew, you know, Kind of came into this uh, this book, I think. So it was this creative kind of group that had been with you from the beginning, both in the books and in the films as well, to some extent. What was it like working with Danny Boyle? What what is it like working with Danny Boyle? Um, it's you know it's it's, it's kind of strange because um, when we first worked together on the original film, there's a gap of you know twenty five years, and it's you know it's like kind of. Um, you keep in touch and all that, and uh, but it was it was it was interesting to see kind the, of his where he was, yeah, and where he was know, and, and where he was, you know, how he kind of operated. I mean, it was like um, when because um, we didn't, you know, we didn't have much money basically when we did the first train spotting, right. and he was very, um, you could feel his breath on your neck, you know, <laughs> everybody could feel. You know, he was very, you know, but uh, this time he was much more. 
still full of that energy. But like, relax, a little more energy, relaxed. A bit more, um, a bit more standing back and looking, taking more of a helicopter kind of view than kind of sort of right, right into it all. But, um, but, but again, very, um, very good with the actors and with a very kind of, um, with an incredible sense of, um, of just how everything should fit together and look. I mean, it's and and again very spontaneous. I mean, I kind of um, I was supposed to shoot my scene during the day, and um, at kind of three o'clock in the afternoon. And he goes, no, we're going to shoot at three o'clock in the morning now because oh, it would wow. be, it, it's going to look much, visually much better if it's a night scene, basically. Right. And it did, you know, you know, it, it just and that was just like um, improvisation from the script on the day. Cool. Um, so he he does all that kind of thing, and he is um, he's very very good at, at kind of bringing people into the whole thing, and he's very good at um, at kind of um, at standing back and letting people kind of run with things too, you know. So he's got a very instinctive way of um, of operating with people. Did all of that early work in film? Um, is that what? I know you have your own film production company now and you're doing things from original scripts that you're writing as well. Did a lot of that come naturally? Did it flow naturally for you because of the early work that you did on film? I think it was, I mean, it's like when you're working with, I mean, not just Danny, but also Andrew as a producer and John um, as a screenwriter. I mean, it is like kind of, you know, going to film school, basically. If you work with them for a year, it's like right. kind of doing 10 years kind of apprenticeship in film school. And um, it does kind of set you up. Um, I mean, I kind of, you know, I, I've kind of, um, I've directed a, a film for TV and I've directed kind of short films. I'm not really interested in kind of doing longer form stuff, like, you know. But, um, you know, you just, you, you can pick up the, the phone to him and he's always incredibly obliging about advice about specific, you know, specific things um, and you know with matters of script I mean John's kind of you know he's just he's one of the he's got an incredible sense and feel for a for a script and how it's going to transfer visually onto the screen uh, you know so the, you know Andrew's just um, you know he's, he's just uh, again a, a really incredibly helpful guy who I've worked with and other things kind of down the years so it's, it's like um I was kind of so lucky to work with that team, but um, I've kind of been lucky in every film project that I've done. You know, I've worked with people who sometimes, you know, the 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 um, the film through a lot of things, a lot of financial constraints and whatever, it's not been the way we wanted it to to come out. But um, I mean, Rob Hayden in Canada and um, kind of. Uh, you know, Paul McGuigan did the Dacid House was a fantastic director. He just kind of, you know, he did something really quirky and mad from a, a low budget. And John Baird from you know, who did Filth and who's you know, he's he did the, he's just did the Laurel and Hardy movie recently. He's an absolutely brilliant director, great, ter terrific guy to work with. And another guy who's very like Danny in the sense that he he kind of pulls people into the whole thing and, and gets the best out of them, and um, you know, sort of terrific guy to work with. So you've 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 had the best of all worlds in terms of film, and being able to express yourself through your work. And I know in in um, in Dead Men's Trousers, you've also taken it one step further in that you've included uh, almost like a graphic novel within 
within the book as well. Again, where, you know, another... Where did that come from? Well, another, you know, it's like it's Dead Man's Trousers is like the kind of... Um, it's an acronym of DMT, which is... The, the, yeah, the, I wanted the, to ask yeah, you about yeah, that. Yeah, it's like a Scottish name for... Okay, we always have these modern acronyms in Scotland. Right. So Dead Man's Trousers is DMT. And, um, and I thought, instead of writing about the DMT trip, it would be nice if we could get somebody to illustrate it. Right. So I got in touch with Dan McDade, who's this brilliant guy, graphic novelist from Scotland and who I worked with on another project. We, we worked with on this kind of sci-fi um, long story in this uh, anthology. Um, and uh, I just like his, Dan's style of, of doing things is, is fabulous. I, re I really like the way he illustrates. And um, and I just kind of had these rough notes and I said, do you want to do something from from these notes, like you know, so he knocked these up, and it's great. You know, it's, I like the way that this is just a novel, and it just suddenly becomes a graphic novel. Yeah, exactly. Bit, and then it goes back into being. A novel well, you say it. something. You there's actually another quote I found of yours, which says that I love stories and I love telling stories and all that, but I kind of wonder if the novel, as such, has gone as far as it can go. Um, I don't know if you remember saying it, but that I did see that. And yeah, I mean, what do you mean by that? I think sense? this, you know, because we, we, we're living in the, the digital age, and um, now it's like because TV companies are, are, you know, are desperate for content, and um, I think that um, there's a the novel kind of has a different sort of cultural relationship now. With, um, I mean, it's like kind of. Um, I'm not saying I'm not saying that people kind of write novels specifically for adaptation for TV, but there's almost a sense that uh, as soon as you finish a novel, you know what other life is it going to have? Is that right. an idea that is going to have a different life? And um, I mean, it's like the against technology. I mean, it's like the production values now with you know big flat screen digital TVs and right. sound system. I mean, people aren't going to they're not going to want kind of um, moving scenery like General Hospital or something, you know, it's <laughs> not going to, you know. It's not going to so, be theatrical. Yeah, yeah. so it's got way. to, so it's got to have these production values and production values, bigger budgets, you get more talent, actors right. and kind of, you know, and, and uh, sort of, um, But do you, you think know, that'll change, people. will it change, will it change storytelling in the novel as well? Do you I think, think it kind of does in a sense. I mean, I, I mean, I wrote a, I wrote a novel, I've just finished it. Um, I finished it maybe a few months ago. It seems intriguing. Tell yeah. us about it. And, yeah, and it's like I looked, at, I read, I read it, and I gave it to my my um, editor, and um, we kind of agreed that it wasn't really working as a novel. And I read it again. I thought, you know what, this is this, this is a, a TV show. So I've taken it to um, I've taken it to to uh, TV production people, and I'm just getting a whole different reception. From it, you know, I'm getting a really positive perception. So, I think that. Um, but you're going to publish it as a novel. I'll publish it. I'll, I'll have to, I'm, I'm going to have to to do a bit of work on it to make it a proper novel. It's like kind of. Um, it's. I think you know. Again, it's this thing. There's 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 too many characters and there's too many stories right. being told in it. Which um, now with like long form TV. So, so you wrote a Bible that. for a TV series. Basically, that's what happened. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. really what happened. It's kind of strange. So everything is melding into everything. Everything that you're is doing. melding into everything else, and it's like I think the disciplines of of that have kind of um, are, are bizarre. I mean, um, 
Like my my manager um, in LA, he goes, he he's got a relationship with um, a bunch of schools in South Central, and the kids there they can see the Hollywood sign. You know, they're eight miles away, they can right. see that sign. But it's like me being a, a kid in Muir House and see Edinburgh Castle in the distance. But it's just me. It's just it's just a meaningless building that you don't have any connection with. You know. Right. And um, so he he wanted to get these kids kind of involved basically. So he started to send people down. You know, people like myself and other writers but also actors oh, into, the into the schools and um, and he kind of started to um, you know we've got the Golden Globes and the Oscars and uh, you know they have the goodie bags and they give the, uh, people the digital so cameras so they give the kids and he would just bit. say to everybody, we're collecting this for the kids in South Central and all these rich people would go oh no this is my little kind of thing and then he, he, he would, but as soon as the camera came out they would be oh this is for the kids in South Central so he right. go <laughs> so down with all this stuff <laughs> he'd just give, it, give them to the kids and say look just shoot Shoot oh, the wow. fuck out of anything, you know. Don't really sort of um, don't worry about it. Just sh shoot and then show me what you got, you know. So they come back and you know everybody come down. You know the production designers, costumes design people, kind of every you know every discipline basically would come down there, and um, people would just look at the films and say, "Oh, these are great, fa fabulous films," and they were, you know, they are. They're just producing some incredible work. Yeah? Then when the agents came down. We brought the agents down. They would the agents, first thing the agents would say, they go, "Oh, who is the uh, who who directed this? Who acted? Who's the producer? Who's this kind of the costume designer? Who's the set? The, who 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 did the score?" And they just they just look at the agents and go, "Like kind of like." Fuck off, man! We all did this shit, you know. So it's like they don't see all these disciplines that are just kind of, you know, they're created in a whole different era right. of technology, a whole different era of Hollywood, you know. And it so doesn't, well, it doesn't apply now, you know. And right. um, you know, it's like kind of, um, you know, when after you know, when we talk to people about TV, you know, you're saying, well, why is this a half an hour or an hour? Why is it not ten minutes? Why is it not you know? Why, yeah, you know, and some so, of them yeah. are. I mean, yeah. There's, yeah. there are people that are doing these ten ten minute series that yeah. are happening. Yeah, they're just doing them online, not because with technology yeah. now everything is always available more or less. Yes. it's really kind of interesting. It's a, yeah, all these barriers are are breaking down. down. Yeah. And um, you know, it's like um, it's it's interesting that uh, you know so many of the agents are still thinking like um, in terms of. This is you know who who's who's the hot young director from this right. group, or who's a hot who can actor? I represent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can you know I mean you, they they don't op they genuinely don't operate in that way they don't think in that way and it's not it's not the kids in South Central that has to change it's Hollywood that has to change. Well, it's the idea that I think story still resonates no matter how it's being told. What's changing so rapidly is the distribution of those stories. And how those stories are being, how they're how they're getting out there into the world. You know, it used to be, I guess. Last night we had um, David Thompson, the film critic, the British film yeah, critic. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. Good guy, really, really. We had a wonderful time, and then we showed across the street. Um, Last Tango in Paris. Right. And we were talking about the days, and you remember them when a film, in and of itself, became a topic of discussion. I mean, train yeah, spotting it, was one of those. It, yeah, there were, there were events. You know, there were events. Yeah. There's a whole thing. And now media is everywhere. And mm -hmm. so the way kids are reacting to it, it could be like an Instagram story that all of a sudden everything, all, all these kids go, wow, yeah. and it goes viral. And, and it's amazing. Sort of you can you see 
people on, you know, on watching long-form TV shows and mobile <laughs> phones. You know, I think <laughs> you've got all this massive, expensive kind of, you know, it's made right. with the best technology, you know, and the, you know, the surround sound and all that, you know. Watch it at home, you know, or, you know. But um, but no people will watch. You know, the, it's that kind of disposable element to you know that. Um, so it's 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 very very interesting and and, and um, in a sense, you know, the the long form series is kind of culturally replacing the novel, or the book, because the way that we kind of um, the way that we access story primarily. I've known you for a number of years now, and you know, we this has been an amazing conversation. But I also know that you're in a really good place now, right? You seem to be in a really great place. Um, you've got a huge year coming up with all kinds of different things. And the one thing about you is your interest never wanes. I mean, we'll have an event and we'll have an author event and I'll surprisingly see you at it. I didn't, you know, I remember when you came, when we had um, John Irving and you, yeah, came, yeah, yeah. you came to yeah. meet him. And yeah. you have these, you have these, I saw somewhere, I don't remember where, but you had a list of your 10 favorite books that were out. And it was a very interesting list. It was a very diverse list of so many things. So your interests are very varied and very wide. And who do you, where, where does that come from? Um, I don't know. I think you just, you know, you, you've got to take an interest in different things. You know I mean? I think you kind of... Um, you can look for things that um, just affirm kind of you know you think affirm who you are and what you write and what you're interested in. I mean, I always always kind of cringe when uh, people send me a, a drug book by a hot young writer yeah, exactly. and all that. Stuff. As I, if I, that's I, your I, only yeah. interest. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not really that interested <laughs> in it. You know, I mean, I write. I, I, I'm not interested in the kind of books that I write myself. I'm not interested in the kind of you know the stories that I, uh, I tell myself to kind of you know to, or you know it's. I mean, I'm not. I'm obviously, I'm not interested in them, but I kind of feel that um, you have to kind of add to yourself. You have to, you know, you have to keep um, looking at things that are going to pique your interest in some way, you know. And you can't really. I mean, it's like to me, it's like you know, if I go into, if I go to a gallery and um, I look at, I look at some visual art. What I like about visual art is sometimes something moves you, and you don't even know why. And that's that's you know that that's right. the sort of. Um, the great thing about it, I mean, I remember when I when I lived in Amsterdam, um, I used to go to the Rijk Museum to to look at Rembrandt's Night Watch kind of painting. I used to go there maybe every kind of two or three weeks. I would just go and sit there and look at it, and I could feel myself getting really emotional, and I could feel you know my, my breath was catching. I could feel tears condensing in my eyes, and I thought, why the fuck am I getting so emotional about a painting that's about a changing of a guard, basically. There's nothing really in it at all that's kind of. Um, Did you figure out why? No, I still don't know. <laughs> you know, and that's great. You know, yeah, what I mean? that but is I great. I do. I just walk in the room and I can feel it sparks I can something. Feel something. I can feel the air being squeezed out of my lungs. Like you know, um, I don't know what that is. You Was know, your house as a kid filled with art and reading? Not and at all. all that no, stuff? no. We just we lived in a small systems built apartment in um, North Edinburgh and Muir House, and uh, you don't have room. Basically, you don't. You don't have. You know, there's no. There's no room for. Uh, you don't have. You can't. There's no room for bookshelves. There's no room for art. I mean, there's a lot of books that pass through. Right. You know. Um, and uh, my uncle was a fireman who um, did an open university course. So I inherited all his books. I inherited all his Evelyn Waugh novels. And you know, I kind of got into to literature through that, basically. Wow. So, but you said earlier on, which is interesting, because there are so many good writers that have come out of Scotland. 
where you talked about how in Scotland, uh, the Scottish uh, uh, the Scottish uh, personality is one that doesn't tell a lot of stories and doesn't talk very much and maybe is a little more reserved. Um, no, not at all. It's a very garrulous kind of... Well, um, good. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Maybe never, you said the yeah, opposite. They never, they never shut <laughs> up, basically. Everybody's telling stories. They don't commit them to paper, mostly. Um, and I think the whole wave of writing that came out that I was part of that... Um, like Kevin Williamson and Rebel Inc. and Duncan McLean, Clock Tower Press, they cottoned on to this whole thing that um, there was this, there was all these people who they were maybe frustrated about the politics and there was right. no there was no kind of um, institutions, political institutions, and there was no parliament. So there was always just massive outpouring of energy that came out culturally, it came out kind of in music, but mostly came out in literature and poetry. Um, readings all over the place, people kind of started true. magazines. I, the, Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Festival is like one of, one of the favourite things to go to, I think. It is, but you know, a lot of the stuff in the, the festival isn't really indigenous Edinburgh stuff. You know, it's like the, the, the festival director they have now, Nick Barley, uh, tremendous guy, and he's tried to um, to bring it back. He's tried to pull all the kind of the locals, kind of sort of underground stuff in the city right. into the the, the, the literary festival, um, and uh, you know with some success as well. You know, so it's, it's you know it, it really lived in a parallel universe to to what was going on in terms of the, the official festival or even the fringe. So five years from now, or eight years from now. Um, Will will one of these passions of yours be more prominent than another? I mean, you, will you still be writing books? Will you still be I making films? I mean, films? I don't know. I mean, it depends. Making you know, music. You can't really say it depends on the. Uh, it depends on the state of me, for one thing, but also depends on the state of the world, you know, and what's going on. I mean, things are just moving so quickly now that um, you don't really know how people will be kind of producing and consuming art and culture in, in any way at all. How they'll be telling stories in five years from now. Well, I just hope one thing, that you maintain your place on Miami Beach so I get to see you more and more over the years. Uh, that would be good, buddy. Always Irvin, a pleasure. it's great to see you here. Thanks for being on The Literary Life. It's been great to have you. Thank you, mate. Cheers. I hope you like what you heard and that you'll please share your review on Apple Podcasts and also give me your feedback at Books and Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to my weekly conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Revolver.com. I'm Mitchell Kaplan. Thanks for joining The Literary Life.